Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. everybody welcome to writers on film my name is john bleasdale today i'm talking to caroline young uh i don't need to say that i'm a writer and film critic i do that every week if you don't know by now <laughs> i don't know what you're listening for but caroline has written a wonderful book about a subgenre of horror that I'll tell you the truth caroline i didn't I I mean, when you read it, it you see it everywhere. All of a sudden, you're just like, wow, why Why isn't this something that... I mean, uh, or, or am I wrong? Is there a huge a huge number of books about this subject? There are not that many books about the subject. And um, yeah, and it, but it's such a sort of common trope that once you kind of realise all the little kind of sort of similarities you see in, in films, that are coming out now, uh, television series. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's this idea of the kind of the older woman living in a creepy house and um, kind of the spinster concept. Yeah, it, and once you kind of see uh, see it, as you've said, yeah, it, you kind of notice it so much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so sorry, the name of the book is, is uh, let me get this right, Hag Horror? It's Crazy Old Ladies. Crazy Old Ladies. Hag Horror. Yeah, <laughs> I knew hag horror was in there somewhere. Crazy yeah. old ladies—the story of hag horror. Yeah, um, how did you come across this sort of as as a sort of a subject for a book? What what made you interested in this specifically? Well, I watched um, so a couple of years ago. There's been quite a few films about um, 
sort of the later careers of actors. So there was Judy, about Judy Garland, Stan and Ollie, um, also Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool about Gloria Graham. And it was also that the television series Feud about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford during the making of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. So I just started to get interested in this idea of what happens to actresses, sometimes actresses, but I suppose generally women as they get older and actresses as they get older, and what happens to their careers. And um, I noticed that in the 60s, there was a lot of these films that, that were horror movies that kind of cast older actresses in the kind of... Um, the role of spinster, the kind of scary spinster. And as the more I researched, um, the more I found, you know, it was a huge genre at the time and it really cashed in. It was whatever happened to Baby Jane was kind of the, I guess, the starting point for those films. And after that, there were so many copycat Baby Jane style films and they all wanted to have the kind of, um, this unrecognisable name, Tallulah Bankhead or, or Joan Fontaine or Olivia de Havilland. And um, yeah, it was just really fascinating just to kind of see how these films so how you can kind of place them in societal context as well well yeah I, that was what was so uh amazing about this book was the uh way you, the, it's almost you you really include the biographies of the stars in it so you really get them in the context of their careers and the context of their times and it's it's even though the f- films as you make like this point uh throughout the book um sort of some of the frisson of the films is it's kind of in humiliating the the these old sort of um stars of yesteryear uh you use the opportunity to really actually elevate them as uh, uh in their careers and in the context of their times and um I, I just found those stories absolutely fascinating riveting all the way through yeah that was kind of what i was yeah, hoping to do was kind of weave the narrative of their lives so i didn't want to just kind of go through the kind of just look at the films solely. I kind of wanted to put it in the context of the lives of, of what they were going through, why they took on the roles, because I think that's kind of interesting as well. And, you know, some of the backstage stories, um, Tula Bankhead coming to London, you know, it, um, to star in this film called Die, Die, My Darling. And it was her last movie. And, you know, she was really suffering from ill health. But she had this idea of wanting to be treated like a star. And, you know, she, she, wasn't, she wasn't needing the money so much, but I think they just kind of wanted a bit of validation and the roles were kind of slightly humiliating, I guess. Because, but I think they also celebrated them as stars. But I think there was also part of a kind of tearing down an older woman or watching an older woman, somebody who was once very glamorous, very untouchable, seeing them in this kind of slightly uh, degradating state, so degrading state. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, so so if we well, well, actually, first of all, before we jump straight into the to the movies, which we've already kind of done, mm-hmm. but but uh, just to rewind a second, how um, what what's your story in terms of um coming up to 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 writing about uh, movies in in this way? Well, I've been uh, writing books for about ten years now, and my first book was about movie costumes. So I've um, worked as a fashion writer. Um, but I also look at pop pop culture and film as well. And so my first book was called Classic Hollywood Style, and it was about costume design in old movies. And then I've got I've written a book called Hitchcock's Heroines, and I looked at um, Rome in the fifties and sixties, and a book called Roman Holiday. Um, so yeah, so film and pop culture are kind of my um, main focus, really. But um, I kind of like I suppose weaving in a kind of a narrative into the way. I write books, so charge following people's lives and kind of weaving their stories together. 
Yeah, that's what that's what was uh, that really attracted me to the book, and and as I was going through it, it it was it, it just became um, kind of difficult to put down because oh, primary because of that story nature, it felt like I was really I I love the the sort of gossipy you know. Um, uh, the 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 fighting, the infighting, the misbehaving Shelley Winters uh, <laughs> being <laughs> being absolutely atrocious to one person yeah. and then really sweet to another, and uh, yeah. all of that was wonderful. Um, and so, you, so you started off as a fashion writer, uh, like uh, uh, covering contemporary fashion, or um, yeah. So I worked so the Herald uh, newspaper in Glasgow. I worked. I did. Um... I worked on their website um, and I mm. kind of covered the fashion section. Um, but, and I trained as a journalist, um, but kind of film, I suppose, was my main passion, really. So, um, yeah, so the first books I wrote kind of combined the sort of fashion, but also the film. Because I think film is really the subject, you know, that was kind of what got me into writing in the first place. So, right. um, and I've been a fan since I was a teenager or since I was 12 of old movies. So, um, I think, yeah, writing about film, studying film, it's kind of always the, the my main focus really, and what I enjoy mostly. I think is that and the old movies is that like a a a, a place that you sort of return to more than sort of contemporary stuff. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, so the last book of um, actually is just kind of in the process of being edited, but um, my, a, a book that's coming out in October next year is about um, Hitchcock and Edith Head. So it's looking oh. at the um, career of. Hitchcock and tying it together with Edith Head because as well as working on 11 films together, um, I could also see the parallels in their lives. So they're both um, masters of publicity, um, both two of the kind of most most recognisable faces from behind the camera and um, they're both slightly controversial. So yeah, I thought, and they both, you know, really have their own unique um, imprint on kind of aesthetics of film as well. So I thought it was interesting to kind of show do a book on the two of them together. Oh, I can't wait for that. That sounds fascinating. And also we have, uh, yeah, Edith Head. I remember reading quite recently in a book about her sort of nicking nicking credits off other people. I think it was in Sam Wasson's and uh, Janine Basinger's book on Hollywood, uh, an oral history. Yeah, she did kind of take a little bit of credit, I think. she was Again, she was very much the master of publicity, so she could kind of, she put herself out there. And yeah, it did sometimes involve taking people's work and kind of taking the credit, so... You yeah. Know, so you so going back to the to uh, crazy old ladies, <laughs> which is a brilliant title. I wish I should have got that right straight off the bat. It's such a good <laughs> um, uh, it's. It, I mean, you make the point uh, uh, early on in 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 at the beginning of the book of how this is uh, an archetype that has existed, you know, in culture for for mm-hmm. you know uh, hundreds of years, going back to. Um, the witch trials and the figure of the witch mm-hmm. and, then, and then through to sort of more modern conceptions like Miss Havisham and um, Charles Dickens's Great Expectations, which, yeah. you know, then then comes into Sunset Boulevard and Billy Wilder. And you you draw this line very, very uh, convincingly and very well. Um, mm. But you're but you're saying like the, the first uh, sort of full on sort of conceptualization of this is in Robert Aldrich's Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Can you could you just give us a bit of bit of information about that film that uh, just in case our listeners haven't haven't seen it. Sure, yeah. So I so I um so I kind of draw a parallel with Sunset Boulevard in a way is kind of I suppose the film that you could say is kind of the start of it. But I think with Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, 
it really came about at the right time. It was it was released um, just you know before I suppose the feminist movement kind of kicked off, and uh, it's cast Betty Davis and Joan Crawford together, um, two actresses who'd been huge huge stars. Um, they really kind of funded the movie studios because of their great success. But then once they got to a certain age, and maybe they they didn't look quite how they looked before, um, they were sort of cast aside. But this film kind of marked a comeback for the two of them. And it paired them together as two sisters who live in a home together. They're kind of isolated from uh, from society. They're both former actresses. So it really brought together these kind of strands of um, two older women together, kind of, pairing off against each other, um, the celebrity notion as well. So this idea that there, there's kind of a Hollywood theme, as there was in Sunset Boulevard, um, and also lots of camp um, horror. Um, so, yeah, like axes and kind of bodies and all these kind of elements would all come together in later films because it was such a success and no one thought it would be a success. And, no, and Robert Aldridge, he went around the movie studios and... He was turned down, including by Jack Warner, who um, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis have both been really important figures at um, Warner Brothers Studios, but he didn't want anything to do with it. Um, but then they discovered, you know, it was such a huge success that it started off a, a whole load of uh, replicas, who people who wanted to sort of capture that magic that, from that film. Yeah, Jack Warner said something very disparaging about them, didn't he? So, yeah, he called them uh, washed-up old bitches. So mm. uh, that's kind of where the title of my book, I suppose, came from, was this idea that that's how older women are often described in these films. Crazy old hags, they're yeah, washed up, they're bitches, all these all these terms that, that um, they're referred to. But how old are they, actually, at the time of filming? Um, so they're not, I mean, they're not old, really. They're, like, in their 50s. So, <laughs> like, in their kind of early 50s, I think. Yeah, so... Um, as, as someone who's recently entered my 50s, I, I, I object. <laughs> I, know, I know, that's the thing. It's like they were treated, you know, like they were in their 80s, but they weren't. They were in their 50s. So, yeah, it's um, it's kind of insulting to them as well. So, um, yeah, but I think they kind of... Um, there's some opportunities that came out of it, but the opportunities mainly were, were kind of replicating similar parts. And in the, yeah, you mentioned the, earlier the uh, sort of Hollywood thing, because uh, uh, one of, uh, Baby Jane is the child star who's, mm -hmm. who's, um, uh, whose star has faded, but is still sort of reliving that, that, yeah. that former glory. Um, I mean, one of the things I think that you point out, which is really interesting is how your sympathy for the, for the two characters sort of shifts um, during mm -hmm. the film. Cause you think one of them is really the bully and one of Joan Crawford seems at the beginning to be really the victim. And then yeah. as it goes on, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That was the interesting thing was kind of twisting the sort of perceptions of which one was which. Um, and yeah, baby Jane is very much like from Sunset Boulevard, like Norma Desmond's, as well, um, where, you know, she's kind of wanting to relive her glory days. And, um, yeah, yeah, and it's um, just interesting, the kind of the final scene as well and uh, on the on the beach together. And, um, yeah, it's just such a, a terrific film. And it's one of these films that you sort of don't get bored watching. And I can mm. remember actually watching it when I, I guess I was, I don't know, maybe 10 or something like that. I remember my, I have an older sister and she and her friends got it out of the video shop. And I remember they were kind of watching it and that was like, I guess, 1990 or something. So I think it's one of these films that sort of younger people can really enjoy as well. I think it's a sort of universal film that 
um, they enjoy those kind of horror elements of it without maybe knowing who the actresses are. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing that we can't really get back. I mean, a feud, as you say, was hugely popular, and so that that has done to some extent as a, a spark renewed interest in these. Who's your favourite, yeah. Joan Crawford or Bette Davis? <laughs> Um, I have to say, I've always liked Joan Crawford. Um, I, I love her 1930s movies. Me too, um, yeah. Say that, like, um, Sadie McKee is one of my favourites. But then Betty Davis, watching her in interviews, she's just so funny. <laughs> like yeah. when you watch her you know, interviews in the 1970s when she's doing the rounds of talk shows, and you can see them on YouTube. And she's she's really hilarious and just very engaging, quite ferocious. But um, yeah, yeah, she's fantastic, a real character. She has the upper hand on Joan Crawford. You you get the feeling, you know, jo Joan's yeah. sort of completely, you know, she's into her Pepsi Cola and this slightly ridiculous idea that everybody has to drink Pepsi Cola around her. And yeah, Betty Davis just absolutely uses that as oh, okay. Um, yeah, she like yeah, she was. I think she was good at winding her up, and I think Joan Crawford is very much all about appearances and so you know she didn't want to kind of she maybe didn't have such a humor about things so she wasn't very good at um, someone making fun of her I think um, and Betty Davis was very good at, at winding her up Mm, I, I recently showed a class um, an introduction to uh, the introduction of her character in Rain and, and that yeah. introduction is just like bam bam hand hand <laughs> leg leg and it's like a musical <laughs> introduction almost of this sort of like or, or the dinosaur in jurassic park is turning up or something it's like it's, yeah. if you if you haven't seen it uh i think it's on youtube and uh, uh our listeners if you if you haven't seen it you should you should definitely uh, take time even if you just watch her, joan crawford's entrance it's it's amazing yeah, and it was actually it reminded me of her entrance in Street Jacket a little bit. I think the kind of over the top and the, her bangles jangling and everything like that, and the, the haircut and um, yeah, it was it reminded me of, of Rain a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And playing on those, and you, and you make the point that that, that uh, Billy Wilder's um, Sunset Boulevard sort of has that sets up some some elements which which go into so for instance the use of. Um, the sort of real footage of the stars when they're younger. I've noticed yeah. that that's the sort of trope that has turned up more with male stars nowadays, that you'll see, you know, um, I don't know, Robert Redford having photographs of a young Robert Redford in a film. So you, you, you know, as a younger version of the character he's playing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hadn't actually noticed that, but yeah. Um, but it was definitely, that was a big element of um, some of these films. So um, they would use the glamour shots of the actresses in their younger days. So I mentioned Tula the Bankhead. It's her character in the film Die, Die, My Darling. She had like a sort of box of mementos and sort of glamour pictures of when Tula the Bankhead was younger. Um, and then in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, um, there was clips um, that were used from their real films. So that was really interesting. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh what was I? What was I? Oh, oh! I, it, it just occurred to me actually. Not just Robert Redford, but the um, the new Indiana Jones trailer has a de-aged Harrison Ford. At the and 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 it, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it is sort of like referring to the younger icon that that he was. Yeah. Time he made that film. Um, so you have uh, Robert Aldrich, who is this really, to me, kind of underrated film director. I think he's uh, he makes. He, I mean, it's a point you make as well that he sort of made, his films are a series of you know good great successes like Baby Jane and Dirty Dozen, and then sort of interesting flops, you know, like The Grissom mm -hmm. Gang and uh, and um, 
I don't know if Twilight's Last Gleaming was a, a flop, but but yeah, yeah. not not exactly. Uh, it, it didn't it didn't break any blocks. But it didn't mm-hmm. bust any blocks with that. Um, yeah. But he sort of continues to make these films as well. He makes like three mm-hmm. or four of them, right? He does, yeah. Um, he did The Killing of Sister George, which I kind of put in that category because it's about uh, older. Um, actress who um, is struggling to stay relevant so and it kind of shows her sort of spiral her mental spiral um and also he produced uh whatever happened to Aunt alice um and that is one of my favorite films in the genre it's really good it's got geraldine page and ruth gordon as the two kind of older women although geraldine page is in her 40s i don't know but yeah she's um but they're sort of in battle together and that's such a good film um so yeah he kind of and he also did one um which i've completely forgotten the name of now (laughs) the one of kim novak um so yeah and it was not a hit at all and it really did very badly and Kim Novak had thought it would be um it's uh it's Lila somebody I've completely forgotten what it's called yeah I'm just I'm just gonna uh, bring up the uh his filmography and see if I can so we have whatever hush hush sweet Charlotte that was yes, that was course, yeah uh, legend of Lila Claire that was a legend of Lila Claire yeah so that was just a massive plot and it was supposed to be a kind of comeback for Kim Novak where she plays a kind of dual role which sort of references the vertical her famous mm. vertical character as well so um yeah so Robert Aldrich had a really interesting career where he did these kind of very macho films but he also did these kind of character studies of, of older women as well and. He did Autumn Leaves with Joan Crawford before mm. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. And that was kind of the film that um, I suppose instigated Baby Jane because it's where he met Joan Crawford and then kind of built up a relationship with her and it led to doing Baby Jane. And um, yeah, Autumn Leaves is really interesting because it deals with an older woman who's feeling sort of like she's regretting her her life because she never met a husband and she's kind of this uh, she's in her 40s or um yeah i'm presuming her 40s and yeah she's kind of this slightly tragic spinster character as well so um what, what do you think on a more general level is the sort of spur for this um for this sort of influx of films uh, about this, what what's the? Because you said uh, you know whatever happened to Baby Jane's sort of slightly pre-feminism, of pre sort of post-war yeah. feminism, um, I, but but the, these continue on into the seventies and, and and beyond. So so what's the what do you think is the the sort of causing this fascination? Well, I think, um, well, I think firstly, it was kind of, I suppose, the relaxation of the codes in film, mm. the um, censorship codes. So I suppose with um, Hitchcock's Cycle, um, it kind of started this, um, the horror genre where there was more kind of expectation of showing violence uh, on the screen. And with those allowances of being able to show more violence, I think it led to um, more horror films. And it was also um, that the introduction of television where um, people weren't going to the cinema and the demographic changed. So it became, so teenagers wanting to see things a bit more shocking than what they were getting on television, expected to go to the cinema and see more thrills on screen. So I suppose horror films or um, films that were slightly more shocking became more popular in the 60s. Um, I also think um, when I mentioned the feminist movement, I think well in the 50s, there's this idea of keeping women in their place. 
um, it was kind of, the film industry was slightly conservative in a way. And it did have all these kind of tropes about, um, you know, how women were expected to marry. If you were, if you never got married, you were seen as a slightly tragic character. There were lots, there were kind of warnings to women. And I kind of saw these horror films of the 60s as a kind of warning that this is what happens if you, if you don't get married, you turn out like Betty and, and, and Joan <laughs> living together as spinsters. Um, and I think as, you know, the feminist movement was gaining ground in the 60s, I do think they kind of did act as a warning. And then when you look at the sort of films of the 70s, female characters were kind of secondary. And a lot of actresses have spoken about this, about um, they became very, films of the 70s became very male focused um, and there was less, really less opportunities for women. And so, yeah, I think it was kind of um, just that sort of the trend of that time, a kind of reaction to, um, uh, I suppose, masculine fears there was the vietnam war as well which had a you know major impact um and then as you get into later 70s those the genre that my book explores kind of dies out and what you get in horror film is the teenage film and you get the teenage slasher so that kind of comes into the 80s with that so yeah i think you can kind of trace those strands mm. through <laughs> yeah sense, yeah no absolutely yeah. absolutely and it's interesting you mentioned the teenage slasher because um you when we when you started you were talking also about psycho and and you mm -hmm. include psycho as kind of part of this genre because of course even though spoiler for psycho <laughs> um norman bates's mother is is the sort of um what do you call it the sort of uh defining absence of the film yeah uh, and and she is very much sort of an older lady who has has this um malign influence yeah exactly yeah so yeah so another theme of these films is the mother the repressive mother so yeah and, and norma bates is very much that repressive mother who who has driven her son to to murder because of the ways you know she the way she treated him she kind of um coddled him or she you know she she didn't let him um sort of function as he should have done so yeah and actually i think it's interesting as psycho she's kind of dressed up like a really old lady whereas i think norma bates is only supposed to be sort of early 50s but she's kind of like got the sort of bun and the gray hair and everything and dressed like she's a lot older so yeah yeah, but yeah so i placed that as kind of also a factor in the in the genre as well I mean that that idea of age is funny because yesterday I saw a tweet from somebody uh, that somebody had labelled it a hate crime because it was all the pictures of everybody who's in Cheers with their <laughs> actual ages with the actual oh, no. ages of the actors and they're all like they're all in their twenties and thirties and I'm I mean Norm and the the post guy uh, Cliff. you know <laughs> Cliff exactly they're all in their thirties and Ted Danson's in his twenties. That's it's... surprising, yeah. That is because you do think Norm is like I don't know how you think he is, but you sort of just assume he's kind of an old an older guy. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. I think Ian Rhea Perlman is only in her thirties as well. Okay. I mean, and, and Rhea <laughs> Perlman, you just exactly you think so. It, so even as as recently as the nineteen eighties, people look looked a lot older than they you know 50 was not the the, the young pet portrait of dorian gray that i am yeah. it, it was the, it was the the portrait in the attic you know yeah exactly um yeah so i mean with psycho you have this combination i'm interested as well because you you've already written a book on hitchcock and and you're going to write mm -hmm. another book on hitchcock is that that that's a stupid question really but it's obviously a key filmmaker for you 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so Hitchcock's films were, you know, one of the first when I was when I was looking at kind of watching older classic movies when I was a teenager. It was Hitchcock's films because I imagine I must have seen one on, on television or so. I think it was Rear Window, mm. um, and I remember going to the video shop and there wasn't really a great choice of old films in the video shop. So, but I think they had the kind of classic Hitchcock ones. So I kind of got into um, into films of the 50s and um just yeah through hitchcock really and i just love the way that you they take you to um a particular place in time and i love the style so you're watching north by northwest and you're really kind of seeing the street scenes of, of new york in the 50s and um yeah i like the hitchcock's aesthetics as well as the kind of the, the mix of comedy and romance and, and suspense yeah it's so, it's so interesting isn't it it's so interesting how you get history through film as well that in the sense mm-hmm. that you know i've watched i watched those um hitchcock films i think same in the same way maybe maybe there was a t bbc2 double bill season <laughs> or something like that right um and you receive you don't think of the 50s as being 10 years that starts here and it ends there and it's got mm-hmm. you know and it's constantly in movement you think of it as like a static it's a like a bit like the western you know it, yeah it, it's it's not those 20 years before the railroads arrived and yeah it's more like no it was a million years long uh because yeah. of the number of stories you know and the same thing with the 50s i feel it's sort of like it feels more like a place than a than a time yeah definitely yeah and actually this was the 50s did kind of continue into the so the early 1960s i mm. i guess it kind of the aesthetics of what we think of the 50s kind of carries into like 1962 and then then because you don't get the hippies until like 1965 of what we think of of the 60s so yeah isn't it's never quite the sort of from that block decade always kind of but we always think it is if you know what i mean yeah yeah i think that i think that's where mad men was very good was was showing yeah. that that transition mm-hmm. of uh, uh you know and how it didn't all happen at the same time yeah um and, and so we we go from uh whatever happened to baby jane and 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 then you have these sort of copycats, which are mm-hmm. which which are in themselves really interesting. And then you have uh, this figure who comes in, who's who many people will know about. Um, I think independently uh, of, of these films, but William Castle, who is this yeah. um, amazing figure and character. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about him and, and what he contributes to the um, to the genre? Yeah, so he was a a director who specialised in kind of over-the-top horror movies that had gimmicks to them. So um, um, so he, when he saw Baby Jane, he was like, well, I want to make my own one of these. And I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So he um, got he met Joan Crawford at a party, and he said that I want to um, make up. A movie, movie of you, and I have a script that's called Straight Jacket. And this was one of the films that came out just a couple of years after Baby Jane. And he also did one with Joan Crawford called I Saw What You Did, um, which was about two teenage girls who are prank calling um, people randomly. And then a killer answers the phone, and then it kind of they get lured into a trap. And Joan Crawford had a very small role in that as well. Um, but yeah, so he kind of, he saw what Baby Jane was doing and he wanted to replicate it because he was very much into gimmicks. He did, um, whenever, the films that he released, such as The Tingler, uh, he put buzzers under people's seats in the theatre to give them an extra fright. So um, so he saw this genre as just a really a, a great way of attracting audiences and giving them the thrills. And um, Straight Jacket's kind of ridiculous because because uh, uh, they have um, heads being chopped off with axes in a very unrealistic way. And, um, yeah, it's definitely it's the definition of camp, that movie. Yeah, he claims that um, Hitchcock borrowed his head for Psycho as well. That's, That's what, what I... he did, yeah. I was trying to think. I don't remember I don't... a severed head in Psycho. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think it's the... Yeah, there's a skull at the end, isn't there? But there's, it's not a severed head. So, yeah, yeah I'm not was... sure about that. Absolutely. I mean, um, anybody who uh, who who likes William Castle, I'd, I'd uh, recommend seeing Matinee by Joe Dante, which is a brilliant sort of homage to a William Castle style sort of uh, entrepreneur and film director played by John Goodman in one of his one of his few leading roles. You know, he's very it's a, one of those great actors who has been around for ages, but but always plays a supporting part. And there's a Harry Dean Stanton uh, sort of figure. Mm-hmm. I've not seen that. I'll have to check that one out. It's really good. It's really, mm-hmm. really good. It's got also the woman from uh, Raging Bull, Kathy Moriarty, is right. uh, has a really good role in it. And um mm-hmm. And it's just it's just beautiful. It's just an affectionate. Uh, I, this phrase has been used so much this year. I hesitate, but it's a love letter to cinema. <laughs> <laughs> but in its more lurid and sort of mm-hmm. Saturday morning matinee sort of uh, mm-hmm. version, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, no, definitely check it out. I, I haven't seen Straight Jacket, so that's gone on my watch list straight away. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Um... Yeah, it is kind of it's fun, <laughs> and it's yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see her to see Joan Crawford kind of she plays this woman who's been in prison for about twenty years, and when she comes out, she's kind of trying to rebuild her life. But she you knows she's Joan Crawford always has to be able to seduce young men in her films. Like I think she has it written into the contract that she always like has to you know be still so attractive that she's seducing her 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 daughter's boyfriend and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, it's a good one, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. It's funny the trajectory of Joan Crawford, if you think about it, because she's like she's making Mildred Pierce in the late forties, mm. early fifties, and then she makes Baby Jane, and then she makes Straight Jacket, and that, I mean that's why aren't there like these older roles for women? I mean, nowadays you would look at someone like Meryl Streep, and you would see this, mm. this, this she's still got a bunch of roles um you know going yeah. on into in, into you know her, her later years yeah i think it, it probably depends on the type of um career that an actress has had but yeah definitely like there are, there are roles for older women i think things have changed I, you know um i just think in 
the in the 60s to have a, a romantic leading lady she had to be of, of a certain age she couldn't be in her 40s or 50s um and so the only roles were kind of these horror roles or grandmothers you know um so i think it was also i suppose the lack of parts for that particular age of between 40 and 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 60 as well that's probably like a a period that's particularly um difficult too because it's kind of the in-between age so yeah but things have changed in television as well um you know there's so many at the moment you know so many television series offer really good roles for for older women yeah, absolutely. And I think I think our concept of what is old has, has changed dramatically as well. I mean, Scarlett Johansson's almost 40, you know. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, she's, so she's, you wouldn't think you you that. you no one's I don't think no. anyone's been thinking, "Oh, come on, Scarlett, you're getting on now." I mean, she's no. thir- she's 38. She's got two more years, but Right. Yeah, so know. people wouldn't even and then, you know, Jennifer Lopez, I mean, mm-hmm. she's she's got her own thing going. <laughs> she's quite unique in the way, but she's still doing romantic comedies and Yeah. But she's so powerful, I suppose she has that kind of ability to kind of drive a film herself. But yeah, um, Nicole Kidman. So yeah, she's, absolutely. You know, there's absolutely. so many interesting parts. Also on a sort of lighter end, you know, the Sex and the City Girls and Mamma Mia, um, yeah. you know, make it a plot point that, you know, the, the young daughters are, are, are coupling off and, and the, their mothers are coupling off as well. And Grand Sher yeah. turns up, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I wonder if it's all to do with changing demographics as well. So I suppose maybe when there were less of those kind of roles for older women, it was because it was thought that it was teenagers and, and men who are going to see films. Whereas now I think maybe um, they're more aware of a changing demographic. So they're creating kind of Mamma Mia to appeal to, to groups of women who might go to the cinema together and have it as an event. Um, yeah. And those kind of the... Uh, is it the silver dollar when they're talking about the kind of films like Mar- Exotic Marigold Hotel? Or the, yeah. like there's ones that are kind of for, particularly for older people kind of in their 70s. Um, again, because they want to see, they want to have films catered to them as well. So Yeah, they want to see people like them, you know, they yeah, want to see exactly. see a, um, a culture that reflects their own concerns and yeah. fan- fantasies, you know. I mean, it's mm-hmm. funny because it's sort of coming full circle because you've got Joan Crawford in the 30s where the um, audience is predominantly female as well. Yeah, uh, and and you know the, the, you go back to the 30s and 40s, and all those films are sort of driven by strong female characters. Um, yeah, definitely. Because Hitchcock actually talked about that. Where he, he said he made films for women because it's women who go to see the films mostly. They're the main audience. Plus, if they're going on a date, he always said that on a date it was always the women who made the choice of, as to what film. So he, yeah. he always had it in mind. He was making films for a female audience. Yeah, yeah, you you quote that. I remember that bit that you quote where he yeah. says, you know, when he casts the woman, he casts her so that she's liked mm-hmm. by women rather than that she's liked by men. She's attracted yeah. to men. That's a sort of secondary thing, which is mm-hmm. it's interesting. Um, I mean, yeah, you made the point that in the 70s, um, it, it all becomes more male-orientated and, 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 and weirdly... Um, uh, there's a real misogyny in the '70s, which comes through, and I know, mm-hmm. I know that you can skirt skate a line talking about if it's about misogyny or misogynistic. But bloody hell, the number of rape scenes that go through the '70s, it it just yeah. it feels almost like that's you know from Diane Keaton in Looking for Mr. Goodbar to mm-hmm. you know. Um, well, it's not really rape, but Jodie Foster as a well, it, it, yeah. consent is definitely uh, uh, in Taxi Driver. Straw Dogs, yeah. obviously, having a famous one. Every Sam Peckinpah film has something rapey yeah. about it. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, 
that that's that's something as well that that sort of seems to seems to be um a, a dominant in that period yeah i think it's it ties into us was to showing things that couldn't be shown before but it was this idea of pushing boundaries um further and further and um hitchcock's film frenzy is um second last one um second last yeah, yes. the, the, yes. <laughs> family plot family after plot. that. I've yeah. always, I've always thought of Frenzy as his last film. I guess it's his last yeah. good, good film. His know? last good, film. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it has a very sort of horrific scene that's quite difficult to watch. Um, and he was accused of misogyny because of it. I think in, partly it was kind of it was ta- it was what was happening at that time. I don't think people were directors were kind of pushing the boundaries with those horrific scenes. And um, and there's a film called The Killing Kind, which I feature in my book. By uh, directed by Curtis Harrington, and again, it has you know this really kind of horrible, very misogynistic. Um, he, I don't think he, the director was misogynistic, but I just think he kind of created this film that was. So, um, yeah, but, I think I, yeah, appealing to audiences. I don't know, trying to have the shock factor. That's that's really interesting, Curtis Harrington, because he's a fascinating uh, uh, character. I'm really glad yeah. you uh, uh, you brought him up and you include him because he he made Night Tide with Dennis Hopper in yeah. uh, as his first film, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and then made all this this bunch of sort of British, some of mm-hmm. like cheap cheap British uh, yeah. horror films. But yes, this particular the 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 Killing Kind is. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one scene that you mentioned, which I'd like to bring up, which I think mm-hmm. is really interesting because it sort of goes to the nexus of sort of fact and fiction as well. And being yeah. an actress and being a character is the 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 character. I forget the name of the actress. Sorry, Anne. Um, Anne Southern. Yeah. Anne Southern. Uh, Anne, yeah. Anne Southern mm-hmm. uh, is is the mother to John Savage's sort of um, yeah. troubled son, mm-hmm. and she. He's sort of shouting like "you fat whore" and horrible insults, horrible misogynistic insults, and, and body shaming insults. Um, and the actress is kind of like, "Oh, I don't like, I don't like this scene because it, it, it kind of crosses a line of, of, you know, obviously mm-hmm. horrible offensive material, but it also feels like it's directed at her. People are seeing her on the screen being called this." Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then Curtis Harrington assured her that you know he he would do it. He did a take without that, without those kind of um, insults being thrown at her. And then he went and used the one where the insults were. So yeah, but she she wasn't comfortable with it. I think um, she was somebody as well who felt you know these were personal insults that she felt were being directed at her personally. So yeah, it it is a yeah. It's it's it's. I mean, going back to what we said a, a little bit earlier about the rape scenes as well, I think it's becoming more and more apparent that, you know, um, when you look at the making of these movies, the actual cost to the actresses of undergoing these is fairly traumatic. It's not like, oh, yeah, we did a rape scene. It was fine. It was like, no, mm-hmm. this was, you know, I remember reading an inter- hearing an interview uh, with Susan George about Straw Dogs and mm-hmm. and she said that the rape scene took like four days to shoot. And mm. just just that kind of um, you know how horrible that is. And yeah. um, I mean, uh, Jodie Foster when she filmed The Accused would go out to nightclubs um, every night to to sort of almost sort of cleanse herself of this right. yeah. experience. You know, um, mm-hmm. 
And 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 a film, another film that you mentioned in this in this context, which again is another film that I kind of never thought of, but of course it fits perfectly, is Rosemary's Baby, and that and that's a film that very much is a hinge between the sixties and seventies. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and interestingly, William Castle produced it and won an Oscar for it uh, because he um, read the um, the galley proofs of the book, the original book, um, and he wanted to direct it himself. But um, Par- Robert Evans of Paramount um, was like, we think you're great, but we don't think that your style is really going to work for Rosemary's Baby. It's just not going to be good. We want Roman Polanski. So um, Roman Polanski came in as director. William Castle produced it. And yeah, what they created was this film that's kind of um, marked the kind of new Hollywood. And yeah, it was that, that bridge between the 60s and um and the studio system and marked the end of the studio system in the same way kind of bonnie and clyde was as well and um yeah the first of a kind of new um type of horror movie which um you can see with the exorcist and um and it also kind of fits i suppose because it also this idea of older and the younger generation so the older witches and uh, ruth roman um as the kind of the the sort of seem, seemingly harmless older woman, but who's really kind of preying on on young women and preying on their bodies and, and using their fertility. Uh, so yeah, it, it fits in with, with the genre as well. Yeah, the biddy horror of uh, yeah. <laughs> that. I mean, that's yeah. a, a fascinating. Uh, she's had a, she has a fascinating career as well because of course she goes on and does Harold and Maud, and uh, which mm-hmm. is one of my favourite films and in sort of rethinking age and sexuality, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, she really kind of found she had a sort of second career as she got older with Rosemary's Baby, and then she did, um, yeah, Harold and Maud and a number of other films as well, so, yeah. And, and you bring up the point that she was blacklisted, so so in sort of an intertextual way, that sort of is interesting that in Rosemary's Baby, she's kind of this counterculture to the counterculture, really. Yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, like a lot of the... Um, actors who in the kind of horror genre they were given a second chance at their career because they'd been um, blacklisted in the 50s so um yeah the kind of that sort of conservatism of the 50s it's interesting that yeah they come come back in, in these sort of countercultural films I, lo- I love that film i think it, mm-hmm. I, I re-watched it recently and what's so fascinating about it is again sorry sorry spoiler for anybody who's not watched <laughs> any films what are you do listening to this podcast if you've not watched any films um is that the conclusion is so sort of like it doesn't end like you expect a horror movie to end. It's, mm. you know, uh, yeah. it, it's it's kind of unresolved or resolved in the direction you're not expecting, put it that way. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I think and it's sort of one of these films that's kind of creepy, but it's not doesn't have the kind of the, the elements you maybe expect from a horror all the way through. It kind of is very sort of slow building and, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and it also has the um, we're talking about the idea of celebrity as well in these and horror films, and it also explores the the notion of celebrity as well because Rosemary's husband is an actor and his bargain is is for fame. So yeah, fame. yeah, and and he's sort of like they. I love the bit where they stay up to watch his advert, and you know she's <laughs> she's so supportive. Oh that's yeah, that's the, you know that's great. And, yeah, I know exactly. Oh, it's crazy! It's crazy. And of course, she she gets divorced. Yeah, again, this is a point you bring up, which I I love that. That this is a thing. I love the way this weaves into the stories. Is uh, Frank Sinatra sending her divorce papers through because mm. the filming's delayed? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she was supposed to go into a film with him, and then because of the delays to to shooting Rosemary's Baby, she wasn't able to go and do this film with Frank Sinatra, her husband. And he, but he expected her just to give up her, just to leave Rosemary's Baby. And she was like, "Well, no, this is it's going to be a great film, and also I've made a commitment, so I can't go and leave it." And when she said no to him, he sent her divorce papers, and then she had to go and shoot the the final film. And so I suppose that trauma maybe helped play into the role a little bit for that that final moment yeah yeah god what what a a mess what a complete mess of stuff (laughs) me and pharaoh marrying frank sinatra what craziness i know (laughs) he would joke on stage and say oh i finally married a woman i can cheat on and it's like it's like oh you you dirty young man, the ste- yeah. Steptoe and son would say. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so, I, I mean, uh, one of the one of the notions that you you brought up earlier, and I'd sort of like to 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 uh, ask about is, um, you know, you you say it's about maybe women being punished, and and so this, is, in some ways, this couches horror as a kind of quite a conservative form because it's it's about punishing transgression, punishing. Um, the exorcist as well, you know, she's a working mother and, uh, yeah. and a single parent. And maybe that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the, the sort of, you know, and an actress. And and she's an, an actress. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. You, you, you talk about that. I think you so say it's again, the celebrity idea as yeah, well. And right. yeah, broken home and the, yeah, this idea of celebrity is kind of the new religion as well. I think. Mm. I mean, I find that the exorcist terrifying because it makes the Catholic Church the good guys, and I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I want to live in a universe where the Catholic Church are the good guys and the guys you have to call when you're in trouble. I mean, I say that, that I say that as an an ex Catholic. <laughs> that's not just like you know, animus. Uh, that's that's an unfounded in experience. Put it that way. Um, but yeah, um, I, I'm wondering if there's, uh, you know, there's also an argument to some degree that um, these these films had an empowering effect on 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 the women, even though they were seen as a threat. At least they were, uh, you know, at least at least the old the old dames got their roles, and and they featured prominently in movies that otherwise they weren't going to get seen in. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think, yeah, I don't think that was, I think they had a good time making them. I think it was kind of fun. Um, They get to go and get treated like the stars, you know, that they want to be. Um, So, yeah, they go to a um, movie studio, they uh, get interviewed, journalists come along and talk to them about it, and they get a chance to kind of talk about their careers, and they get some money. I mean, they didn't always need the money, but they got, you know, it's expensive, I suppose, living a a lifestyle, you know, celebrity lifestyle. They have to have upkeep. So, yeah, I think it's um, and it's also a chance to play interesting characters. So, you know, they got to you know do these kind of fun horror parts where they're running around with knives and axes. And so, yeah, I, I think it was you know, I think if they really hated it, I don't think they would have done it. I, I think it, you know, so. there's a the sort of grand guignol sort of aspect to it, which is yeah. you know, Lady Macbeth or, or or what have you. You can. Exactly. You can you can justify it in that way. Yeah, I think sometimes we're disappointed by the end result. I think that was kind of. Mm. I think sometimes they thought that maybe it was going to be better, and then it, they were low budget films. And I think when they saw the final results, sometimes they felt a bit embarrassed. But I think generally the making of them, they had a good time. Joan Crawford came to uh, London a couple of times, um, and so and Betty Davis was at Hammer Horror. She was working for Hammer Horror for a couple of films, and. Mm. Yeah, 
I think you know they enjoyed the the travel and being interviewed and and being the star on on the set. So mm, yeah, being yeah. treated like royalty to exactly. some degree, even even yeah. though. Um, one one other question. I, there was a, a um an article I read recently. And it's it's one of those articles that you read that you sort of go, oh, come on. And then you sort of think, well, maybe. Um, uh, and it was about, it was, uh, it, it had one of these horrible sort of headlines, but it was basically, stop using sagging breasts as a horror trope, was the, <laughs> was the article. And it was referring to, I think it was referring to things like, uh, oh, it was referring to Barbarian, which I'm not sure if you, you've had an opportunity to see. No. it it's a horror movie on Disney Plus. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the best horror movies of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another one, uh, well, The Witch, the Robert Eggers film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if you want, you could go back to The Shining and sort of the, mm-hmm. the famous bathroom scene in The Shining where, yeah. you know, it's a beautiful young woman and then it's the horror of, oh, <laughs> sucky breasts. Oh, you know, I mean, I know there's there's mold and decay and all oh, that. Yeah, but it, it was kind of saying, "Oh, this is body shaming, and it's and it's um, it's a really retro sort of uh, re- retrogressive sort of trope, and stop using it as a sort of shorthand for the horrific body." And I kind of, I don't know. I mean, it's it, I, I suppose it keys into what we were saying, talking about when we're talking about how do you look at horror in terms of its politics? Because isn't horror always kind of conservative? Aren't we always kind of you know, the things we're scared of aren't the thing, you know, it's not like we don't check, you know, what's okay mm-hmm. to be scared of. We're scared of the other and the other, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that's not a great political idea to be scared of the other, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, um, I suppose also we're kind of scared of aging in a way. And, yeah. and I suppose the horror of getting older, um, and I, I suppose, yeah, this kind of idea of the old, the, the horrific naked woman, older woman, it's kind of, it, that ties into the, the witch, the concept of the witch, you know, from, mm. um, in art, artwork of the kind of, of the 18th century, 19th century, it was kind of, witches were shown to be naked with these kind of, yeah, the, the sagging bodies. And it was part of that fear of, um, of women as they get older, that this ties in with the kind of idea of losing fertility and losing identity and, um yeah I, I suppose it is conservative but yeah it is also i suppose a, a, a younger filmmaker's concept of what horror is which i guess is that and that was in it was in uh, um roman plansky's um rosemary's baby as well with the witches when they're in there kind of doing the coven they're chanting and they're kind of they were wearing bodysuits the actors but yeah you see their kind of their naked bodies and yeah this idea of the kind of sagging breasts and everything like that but you know the men were naked too, but I don't think it elicits as much horror, does it? I don't yeah, know. we just assume <laughs> that men are ugly to begin with. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Men are horrifying to begin with, and then yeah, uh, they just get a little bit more horrifying. Gnarled, gnarled, and uh, yeah, yeah. The, yeah I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, you know, horror movies fascinate me, but I, you know, they they sort of play on your baser instincts anyway. I think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, how could you know, especially you know that the, there's an element of sort of disgust, and 
yeah, I don't know how you can sort of be how you can sanitize that. I don't want to say politically yeah. correct because that's a bullshit term, but you know what I mean. How you can sanitize that yeah. and, and square that with with your more progressive ideals, perhaps. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, also, I suppose the visibility aspect of it because I suppose people aren't used to seeing. Um, naked older people because it's just it's not in culture so maybe it's this idea of, of something that's unexpected or you don't see mm. very often I don't know maybe it's ties in with that the showing the unexpected so yeah absolutely like, we just have to have more people I don't know older people being naked more often <laughs> <laughs> on that, that, that bombshell <laughs> <laughs> Caroline Young author says that we should see more people naked <laughs> more often so that's the, that's, yeah. exactly that's the headline that we're taking away from this um no but yeah no absolutely i mean i kind of uh, in that sense i suppose it's liberating because you yeah. you face your fears and and yeah maybe you should say hey you know maybe there should be a scene in the shining the new edition where jack goes <laughs> where hang on a minute you know it's not that bad Come i on. know <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, um, right uh one last final question which is uh this is gonna by the way this is our last uh episode of uh 2022 and i think you're gonna be episode i think it's around about 86 87 87 i think wow okay. That's episode good. 87 right. and the last of the year so um so amazon will be having sales now and other bookshops will be having sales so you can go and get crazy old ladies probably with a little discount uh, and even even if you have to pay full price, it's, it's well worth it. It's well worth it. But yeah. what about a recommended film book from you, Caroline? That um, that you would you would mm. suggest other people go and read? So maybe a book that that you know has influenced you or inspired you or you just like. Oh, um, so when I was researching Crazy Old Ladies, there was a really good book called um, House of Psychotic Women. Right. Uh, yes. By. Um, my, this is when my brain goes blank again. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm googling it as we okay. speak. House of Psychotic Women. Yeah. Uh, by Kia Lajanis. Yes, and she is kind of like part memoir and also um, her exploration of um, quite obscure horror movies. And um, yeah, it's it, it's really great that it kind of um, offers some insight into some quite obscure horror movies. But then she also ties it in with her life. And yeah, I really recommend that. Oh wow! I'm going to ask her to come on as a guest. That's yeah. uh, that's um, that's somebody who has been recommended before, and mm. uh, and yeah, it looks that looks like a fascinating, a yeah. fascinating read. I've mm. no, I've not read it. I'm I'm ashamed to say. You well, can't. It, you've got that to look forward to because yeah, it, you'll you'll enjoy it. I've got that in one hand, watching Straight Jacket on the TV <laughs> in another, and trying to ignore my saggy body in the middle. <laughs> That's a lot to do. I know. I know. What the hell? I've got Christmas to look forward to as well. Oh my god! Which, by the time you'll hear this, will already be passed. Um, if if we get that. Um. So, and your next book, you're going to come back and talk to us about, right? Yeah, I love to. Yeah. So yeah, Hitchcock and Edith Head, and yeah, it's out in October next year, 2023. So superb. Who's publishing? Yeah. Who's publishing that? It's Abrams. Oh, brilliant! So, yeah, the um, New York-based publishers. So, oh, yeah. wow! That, they do beautiful. It's going to be like a big, beautiful it's, coffee. Yeah, coffee table I'm not book. sure what their format is, but yeah, it's going to have um, lots of images in it. So, yeah, um, yeah, it was a really fun one to 
to research. So um, oh, gorgeous! Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Get get me on their mailing list. I want their. <laughs> I, will, I will definitely add you on to my list of yeah people. I want I want to get the the advanced copies of the books. So. That would be super. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I can't wait to read that, and um, I, I'm going to go back and read some of your earlier stuff because uh, it sounds like um, well, I, I just love your writing. I love the way you tell the stories, and and it, it, it's it brings the films alive. Makes me want to read them. I mean, read them. God, I get so mixed up. <laughs> makes me want to watch them. And, yeah. makes, and, make, and you know, um, it was just such a uh, it's such a great great book. So so thanks so much for reaching out to me about that. And, um, and thank you. Thanks for uh, oh, and I should thank Elliot Atkins for the music and uh, Ali Howard for the uh, artwork and the imagery. And thanks, thank you, Caroline. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me.